May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Oh my, birthdays, right? Holy cow. Hey, uh, welcome to Parkway Fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here today. And I also want to welcome you as we continue our message series, Hashtag Family Strong. I also want to welcome the North Campus, joining us by video feed. Glad you guys are with us today. And today we're talking about changing an attitude of entitlement. And I'll be honest with you, I really feel like this topic has reached near epidemic proportions in our culture in the last 10 years, right? Um, For instance, last summer, um, I was up here after hours, and I brought my son Ben with me. He was, I think, about nine at the time. I was out in the foyer, and I was um, looking at a prop that we were going to be using at an upcoming sermon series, you know, make sure it was going to work, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, Ben, he was just, you know, running around. Anyway, so you know, we finally finish up and we get in the car, we're about to go. And then Pat, our worship pastor comes out and he's, you know, waves at me and stops me. So I get out of the car and he says, Hey Mike, I want to tell you something. I say, Oh yeah, sure. What? He said, well, while you were out in the foyer, you know, uh, looking at that prop, make sure it's all all good. Ben was in the worship center and you know, he was up kind of, you know, just dancing around on the stage. And I went in, I was like, Hey Ben, you know, we don't allow kids on the stage because, you know, there's lots of breakable stuff up there. <laughs> to which Ben said, no, I can be on stage. My dad owns this church. <laughs> My own kids are infected with this. Oh, unbelievable. Look, and while, while it, you know, it's funny, you just never know what's going to come out of a nine-year-old's mouth, Right? It becomes less and less funny the older kids get when it comes to this attitude of entitlement. Because left unchecked, it becomes just full-blown arrogance. And at best, our kids are the kind of person that nobody wants to work with and nobody wants to be around, you know, because their head is just so big. And at worst, they become the kind of person that uses other people to get what they want in life. And they have no remorse about it because they feel like everybody owes them something. And it's it's just so easy for our kids to grow up with this attitude of entitlement because they just benefit from so many economic opportunities. Uh, It's really true. And the area in which we live doesn't help much because everything seems to be centered around kids and teenagers, right? And so this attitude of entitlement is so incredibly pervasive and, and everything seems to feed into it, but we still have to go to war against this attitude. And just in case that there's some Young adults listening, you know, who grew up in this attitude of entitlement and this culture of entitlement, and the truth is you probably have more of this inside of you than you care to admit, because if you're listening and you are mad at your boss or you're mad at your company because they won't pay you what you deserve, even though you've already been out of college three years... 
Or perhaps they're unwilling to promote you to this position that you know you deserve because you can run circles around these monkeys that are in charge at your office. You probably have a little more of this attitude than you care to admit. And then for those older adults who can look at their adult children and just and you can just see this attitude of entitlement so clearly what do you do i mean is it too late look here's the thing with god it's never too late which is why we're going to look at a true story in the bible of what happened with a family that had two very entitled kids. In fact, this might be the best example of how grotesque this attitude of entitlement becomes if left unchecked. And through this story, this true story, God gives us some instruction on how to change this attitude of entitlement and how we can become family strong. Now, let me give a little background so that the message, the passage that we're going to read makes sense. A man named Eli is in charge of the priests of his day. And he runs the synagogue in the town of Shiloh where lots and lots of people come to worship God. Now Eli has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and these are two of the most entitled kids that you would ever read about. Now, when we pick up, the, uh, both Hophni and Phinehas are young adults now, and their father has gotten them jobs as priests. And their attitude of entitlement has grown to such epic proportions that they abuse their power as priests in some of the worst ways imaginable. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's read what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, "'Give the priest some meat to roast.'" He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, well, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want. The servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Okay, let me, let's pause right there because this begs for a little explanation. First, the reason that people were making sacrifices is because in the days before Jesus Christ, sacrificing an animal was the way sins were forgiven. But what do they do with the animal after it's sacrificed? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 3, the Bible is really clear. It says that the priests are supposed to receive the shoulder the jowls, and the stomach as meat for them to eat. That's how they would survive and make a living. Now, I mean, they weren't the greatest cuts of meat, but 
they were what they were had, and it was enough to live on, and the meat had to be boiled. And then the remainder of the meat, which was also boiled, and all the really good cuts, those were given to the poor and the needy to help feed them. So here, Hophni and Phinehas were no longer satisfied with the cuts of meat that they were allotted. They wanted something better. So they started this practice of saying, you know what, we're going to just plunge this fork into the pot, and then whatever comes up, that must be what God wants us to have. I mean, look, they were just trying to spear themselves a ribeye, basically, is what they were doing, right? And my feeling is they had gotten pretty good at it. But here's the thing. God had already said what cut of meat they were supposed to get. In fact, God was so clear, he wrote it down in the Bible. Hophni and Phinehas just didn't like it. And then they decided they didn't want boiled meat any longer. They wanted to roast their meat over a fire. And so they started taking it, demanding that it be given to them while it was still raw so that they could do that. And then, to further abuse their power, they now take their entitlement to a new low. They abuse their power as priests to take advantage of young women. Look what it says in verse 22. It says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Are you kidding me? But I'm telling you, when an attitude of entitlement is left unchecked, it morphs into an arrogance that says, the rules don't apply to me. And eventually, it leads to people who prey on the innocent and on the young. That's what happens. And that's what happened here. And I know, I mean, some of your parents, you're thinking, oh, come on, Mike, seriously? I mean, my kids would never become that bad. Well, let me ask you, how bad are you okay with them getting? I mean, the point is not that we don't want our kids to get that bad. The point is that we don't want them to even get close. So how do we combat this attitude of entitlement? What does God want me to do to combat this attitude of entitlement? Well, here's the first thing. This is your first fill-in. I need to teach my kids to revere the Lord. I need to teach my kids to revere the Lord. Look at the opening verse of this passage. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. I want you to circle the words, had no regard. If you look in the original Hebrew, these words actually mean did not know. So, so somewhere right above those circle words, I want you to write the words did not know. Bottom line, Hophni and Phinehas did not know God. They didn't even know him. They had never heard God's voice. They had no relationship with God. They didn't really believe in God, and so therefore, they had no regard for God at all. And they were priests for crying out loud. I mean, what was their dad Eli thinking? 
Well, I can tell you what he was thinking. He was thinking that if he made them go to church, that would be enough. And they became priests. But get this. Their hearts never changed. Their hearts never bowed before the Lord and called him Lord. They heard a lot about God. But they did not know God. They were never changed by God. And do you know what that means for me and you? It means that taking our kids to church is not enough all on its own. Now look, don't get me wrong, it's a great start. And you need to make your kids go to church because church is a place where they will be exposed to God's teaching and to God's presence and to God's ways and to God's people. And that's all really good. But here's the thing, you have to do more than that. You have to help them know God. You have to help them develop a relationship with God. And get this, when your kids develop a relationship with God, they will eventually revere the Lord. They will revere God. This is exactly the opposite of Hophni and Phinehas, where the Bible says they didn't even know God. And they had no regard for him whatsoever. And so to become family strong in God's eyes, you've got to teach your kids to revere the Lord. Okay, well, how? Well, this is by no means a complete list, but let me give you three bullet points to help you get started down that road. Pretty key things. Here's the first thing, first bullet, and that is this. Talk to them about the status of their relationship with God. You've got to talk to your kids about the status of their relationship with God. So let me ask you. Do you know where your kids are, each of them, in their relationship with God? Have you asked your kids where they are in their relationship with God? If you have teenagers, have you asked them, hey, what have you read in your Bible lately? Hey, what is it that God is asking you to change in your life to help your life become more reflective of Christ? Do you have any questions about how to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord? And if you've got younger kids, you might need to like rephrase those questions to you know, put them on their level. But bottom line, have you asked your kids about where they are in their relationship with God? Do you know where they are? And the only way to know is for you to ask them about it. Get this, you cannot take it for granted that just by taking them to church, it will happen automatically because it won't. You have to help them take that next step. Okay, here's the second bullet point. Second thing that you can do is this. Let them volunteer somewhere at church. Let your kids volunteer somewhere at church. Now, I'm primarily talking to parents who have kids that are second grade through senior in high school or even in college. Look, here's the deal. Volunteering at church, it it flies in the face of this whole attitude of entitlement because they will eventually realize that by volunteering that the world doesn't revolve around them. And here's the thing. Mom, dad, listen to this. Grandparents, listen to this. When that Sunday comes that your child or your teenager, they don't want to volunteer, they're tired of volunteering, 
they've got something else that they would rather go do instead of following through with their commitment to volunteering. That is the very Sunday you need to make them volunteer. Why? Because you're so mean? No, because you're going to war against this attitude of entitlement. Because look, volunteering at church is, is not like volunteering at just a regular charitable organization. God says that his church, the local church, is the entity that he is going to use to change the world. And it's what he uses to change lives. It is God's church. And when you help your kids volunteer at church, even when they don't want to, even when they have a better opportunity, or when they have a different kind of an offer, when you help them volunteer at church anyway and follow through for their commitment, it helps reframe their little world to help them understand, no, I volunteer because I revere the Lord. It's so much deeper than just keeping my commitment. It's about revering God. That's why you want them to do it. That's why you need to do it as well. Does that make sense? All right, third bullet point is this. Teach them to tithe. Teach them to tithe. Now, tithing is just merely giving the first 10% of your income to God. And you need to teach your kids to give 10% of whatever they earn to God. Why? Because the church needs their money? No. Church does not need their money. But here's the thing. You need to teach your kids to tithe because their heart needs it. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you want your child to have a heart to follow God, then you need to teach them to tithe, to give 10% of their income to God. And that starts with their allowance when they're young, and it continues on with their minimum wage job whenever they first enter the workforce. And here's the thing. Mom and dad, grandparents, it's up to you to make sure that your kids give their tithe. Why? Because just like Hophni and Phinehas, they will be tempted to keep part of it for themselves. And if they do, I'm telling you, one small compromise leads to another until at last they believe that God's rules don't apply to them. And they can do whatever they want. I'm telling you, please, 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 don't let your kids go down that road. Don't let that attitude even get started in their hearts. Teach them to tithe. Because I'm telling you, it will teach them to revere the Lord. All right, now I need to say this one last thing before we move on. If you realize that you aren't doing these things, you need to make some changes. Because I'm telling you, your kids can smell a phony a hundred miles away. I promise you, they can. And so the answer is not to go, well, you know, I'm not doing that, so I'm not going to make my kids do it either. No, the answer is not for you to revere God less. It's for you to start revering Him more. And putting these things into practice in your own life. Because look, the future of your kids is at stake here. Your own relationship with God is at stake here. So do the things that it takes to revere God and de develop and deepen your relationship with the Lord. What does strong look like? It looks like parents 
and grandparents who are leading the way in revering the Lord by how they live their lives. That's what it's about. Okay, that's my rant about all of that. So, <clears throat> number two, second big thing we learn is this. Let there be consequences for actions. I need to let there be consequences for actions. Now, for Hophni and Phineas, there were no consequences for any of their actions. I mean, at least not from their dad. Look what the Bible says after their dad finds out they're having sex with these girls at the entrance to the synagogue. It says, 1 Samuel 2, 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. Like, and that's it. Like, that's all he does. Eli, he does nothing to reprimand his sons. He gives them absolutely no consequences. I mean, he just merely says, now boys, I'm not hearing some very good things about you among all the people. That is not good. Let me repeat that. That is not good. I'm sure his sons are like, oh, okay, dad. Yeah, you're right. That's not good. They just go off and do whatever they want to. And so you know what happens? Because Eli did nothing for years to correct his sons, God finally steps in and sends the Philistines to attack, and Hophni and Phinehas are both killed when their town is overrun. I mean, it, go read it for yourself. I mean, it is unbelievable what happens. But look, here's the lesson. You have to allow your kids to learn from the consequences of their actions and not avoid consequences. You see, as parents, we're so tempted to help our kids avoid whatever consequences we can from their actions because we want to help them. We don't want to, you know, see them hurt or have to endure something difficult. And so, we do whatever we can as parents to help fix things for them, right? They get a bad grade on a test, man, we call the teacher and ask if we, they can somehow get a makeup. You know, they're accused of bullying at school, we call up their man and we, you know, we go to bath for them because no way, that can't be my kid, it had to be somebody else. They get a traffic ticket, we do whatever we can to try to get it fixed or wiped out. I mean, we step in and we try to help our kids avoid the consequences for their actions. But get this, when we help our kids avoid consequences or we fail to give them consequences ourselves, we follow in the footsteps of Eli. And that path only leads to entitlement. And so do you know what strong families do? Strong families help their kids learn from consequences. They don't avoid them. They help them learn from consequences. Look, and even if you feel like 
the consequences aren't deserved for what your kid did, and you think it's really over the top. Look, here's the deal. Come on. They did something. And so use as an opportunity to help them learn. But don't help them always avoid those consequences. Because if you help your kids avoid consequences, it really does them more harm than good. Why? Because when you help your kids avoid consequences, all they are really learning is, if I whine enough, cry enough, or cry foul enough, eventually these consequences will go away. Because that's what I saw my parents do growing up. And so you can't do that. You've got to help your kids learn. You've got to help your grandkids learn from consequences. And, you know, older adults that have grown kids, that means that if your kids find themselves in financial trouble or whatever, it means that you just don't always jump in and rescue them. Let them in, learn from the consequences that they sometimes have to endure. Look, here's the thing. The Lord loves your kids more than you do. He loves your grandkids more than you do. And I know, that is really hard to understand, but it's true. In fact, he loves them so much that he gave them you as their parents or as their grandparents. And God brought you here to church today because God wanted you to hear this message. Or if you're listening on the internet or on a podcast, God brought you to a place where you could hear this message because he does not want your children or your grandchildren to grow up in the footsteps of Hophni and Phinehas. He wants your kids to grow up to be kids and grandkids that you can be proud of, that God could use to do something great in this world. But for that to happen, you're going to have to make some very deliberate and difficult at times parenting and grandparenting choices. But you do it because you love them and because God loves them. And in the choices that you have to make will help your kids revere the Lord and not avoid consequences, but instead learn from them. Are you ready to help them take those steps? If you are, then let's take some next steps together. Find your connection card, and let's do that right now. Here's the first one. I will ask my kids about their relationship with God and help them move closer to Him. Would you do that? Would you help? Would you just... Start that conversation. It might be awkward at first, but you have to start it. Next, I commit to helping my child start volunteering somewhere at church and stick with their commitment. Would you do that? Next, I will teach my child to tithe faithfully. Would you do it? Next, I will embrace one or more of these practices myself to help me Revere the Lord. Might be huge. Next. I will not rescue my child from the consequences of their actions. It's a huge next step. It's so counterintuitive as parents. I, I get that. 
I will help my child learn from the consequences they experience, whether from me or another authority. Help them learn from it, process it, even if it feels unfair. Doesn't matter. Help them learn. Or this last one. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Because look, let me, let me say this. You might be in church today because you've just been coming to church for years, but you've never been changed by Christ. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you and then pledge your life to following him, you're not a Christ follower, not yet, but you can become one right now. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, I'm going to give you a chance to pray it right now because you need Christ in your life so that you can go to heaven when you die and live for him while you're here on this earth. So I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer. In fact, I'm going to give everybody a chance to pray and ask God to help you follow through these next steps. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, and whatever you need to pray to God, do that in these next moments silently. Father, I want to say thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us by showing us so much through this encounter with Hophni and Phineas. And Lord, I pray for every parent and grandparent listening to me today that you would help them to take the steps necessary to help their kids and grandkids revere you, to follow you wholeheartedly. And that they would help, not help the kids avoid consequences, but help them learn from them. And I pray for every child and every teenager, Lord, that you would help them wholeheartedly just reject an attitude of entitlement and instead embrace you and bow their knee before you because you are God. And bring us all back safely next week so we can hear the final message to help us become family strong. And I ask you to do this in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.